It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's Sports Station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey Show. Coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929ESPN. Dennis Fuller's producing the program. Glad he is with us. Mark's going to join us via the phone in just a moment. Let's set the show for you. Eric Castleton is live in Philly. Pre-game for the Grizzlies and the Sixers will start tonight at 6 p.m. Eric will have a tip-off at 6.30 305, Jason's going to join us. He'll preview, of course, the big Topps Barbecue Fiesta going on at the new location opening up on Hacks Cross. We'll get his thoughts on that as well as the Tigers and the Grizzlies. We'll get into the list. Mark will rejoin the program then. We'll tell your story, and then we will get out of here. But now let's welcome to the program the Commercial Appeals lead sports columnist, the lead sports columnist of the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. A top three sports columnist in the state of Tennessee, barely. Tied for eighth, best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter, at MGNato. Mark, good day, sir. Yeah, I've had, I've had better days, Jeffrey. Not going to lie. Went, went to the doctor day and popped positive for strep throat and COVID. The double whammy. The twofer. Uh, I've, yeah. had quite the, I've had quite the day myself. Um, so today it was an honor and privilege to have my winning streak on Writer Than Right Trivia broken by the the great Steve Conley, the man that invented Conley's queries. I mean, we're we're talking about a true legend of the trivia game. He bested me on the final question, so it started there. I'm walking my dog at about, I don't know, 11.20, and my wife calls, and she's in a parking lot, and she says that her car will not go into gear. Mm. And, uh... Yeah, I'm that, sure she said it all com- very calmly too. I, I give her credit. Uh, she, you could tell she clearly had anxiety in her voice, but she was trying to keep it together. The big okay. problem is, Mark, if you're going to try to drop your car off, like they can't even work on it for like three weeks. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I don't know. I took my car in a couple weeks ago. They were able to fit me in, but maybe Toyota didn't you? Did, didn't you? Weren't you just doing like routine maintenance? Yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Well, when you got a transmission issue, it's it's a bigger yeah. it's a bigger ordeal. Yeah. Well, you know, such is life. We 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 uh we uh. Power By the way, isn't like, it also nice now to say that you have COVID and you don't have to worry about like you don't have to like be shunned by society? Um, there's probably still some people. I mean, like I'm not going to be going out and about for the next right but remember so remember when we used to like when we found out somebody had covid and like you'd whisper about it like okay do you know where they got it like in the like you do like you know you'd go full sherlock on everyone to try and figure out like who patient zero was yeah well, i'm pretty sure i got it from one of my kids you know we give them our genes they give us their sicknesses yes yes you know? indeed that's how it works um but hey we're gonna power through it jeffrey just like the grizzlies are gonna power through it without steven adams tonight just like if need be, Memphis will power through it against Wichita State without Kendrick Davis. We're, we're going. We're gonna. You know, we're not at full strength. They're not at full strength. But we're gonna. We're still gonna come out winners, right? No, I mean the the show starts at two. The Tigers play at six. The Grizzlies play at six thirty. You know what I mean? You got to be there. Yeah. Show exactly. up. Show out. Um. Well, it is. It's Tasty Take Thursday. I couldn't miss it. It's you know mm-hmm. Tasty Take Thursday. And even if you can't taste with COVID. I don't think I have that bad of COVID, mm. um, but um, 
it's a it's a you know relatively big night just because it's the return of the Grizzlies from the All Star break and you know obviously every game the Tigers play from here on out has huge implications for their NCAA tournament hopes. Yeah, so I'm more curious though about this. Have you happened to taken a taken a look at the line? I, I know you pointed it out on Twitter. It's gone down to two. Is it still at two? So. It is still to uh, as of me checking, you know, five minutes before the show. So Ken Palm shows it as you know a five point win for the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Ken Palm is not always directly correlated to the line, but it usually is. Does that make sense? Like normally, yeah. if Ken Palm says it's five, it's not unusual to see maybe the line is six, maybe the line's four, somewhere in between. But usually, it's it's around that number. And I also looked that. On some books, the line did open at five, and then it started dropping. So to me, there's only two real scenarios at that are really possible. Scenario number one is Vegas doesn't think Kendrick's going to play, which I think mm-hmm. that would explain that. The other scenario is Vegas saw someone come in and bet the game, and people continuously bet it, sharp bettors that, that move lines and moved it down or Vegas could just have Vegas could just have Wichita State power rated a little better but that's a little bit more unusual the fact so, that it opened at 5 would suggest that's not the case correct now it's not every book but most books that took early action I, I believe opened it at 5 yeah it's interesting i mean i'll just be honest the rumblings i've heard is that at the very least i think my gut tells me like We'll see Kendrick do what he did against Houston. Like he'll come out and he's like, it's a game, you know, it'll be the game time decision type of thing. Yeah, um, I think at the minimum, it's fair to say that I think he's going to go through warmups. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My gut tells me he's going to play. Now, at the same time, because it's a quad two game, I know it's like losing to Wichita, a bad Wichita State team ultimately. But because it's a quad two game, I really, I, I, you know, it'll obviously make things a lot dicier if they lose it, and it'll make you, you know, it'll make you go into that last Houston game thinking, okay, we gotta win this. Like, we, if we want to feel any sort of comfort, we gotta win this. But I also don't think it's like literally gonna like end their NCAA tournament hopes if they lose tonight. No, I think that's fair. It's this, you know, we talked about it a little bit with Cobb yesterday. It's kind of a little damned if you, damned if you don't. Well, it's the chance for a quad to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're no, trying I, to boost your... If you your, want to feel safe, you'll if, go three and one over these last four, however you end up doing it. If you, want to, if you want to be sweating bullets on Selection Sunday, you'll go two and two. Unless you, obviously, you, you win the AAC championship in the tournament. Yeah, if you go two and two... I'm not you're saying... You're sweating bullets. Yeah, you're, I'm not saying you're going to have to win the conference tournament. But you might as well go ahead. Because the reality is, if you go 2-2, two and two, um, if, if let's say you lose to Wichita and then lose to Houston, but beat Cincinnati and beat SMU, you're going to go into the tournament going, okay, we need to do something here. Well, the problem is beating like UCF on a neutral floor isn't going to do anything for you. Beating Tulane, even though like you want to vanquish that blemish, isn't really going to do anything for you from a metric standpoint on a neutral floor. The only win you can really grab in the AAC tournament um, that would matter is beating Houston. Well, you're not going to face them until the championship game, and if you beat them in the championship game, you're, you're on in no matter ball. what, yeah. Yeah, so 
Um, I guess I'd phrase so the question this way. Do you think if they split this week, so let's say they go one and one, does that in your mind mean they have to beat Houston either on the final game of the year or in the tournament? To. I don't think it means they have to, but I mean, it, I think it opens the door for them being like snubbed, if you will, and not making it. Like, I think it'd be like more right now. It feels like if the tournament selection show was today, there's like a 90% chance they're in the field. It feels like maybe a little lower than that, like 80%. Oh, I, I was even thinking maybe a little bit higher. Yeah. But to me, if you lose to if you lose to Wichita and lose to Houston, well, now you're you know you're 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 relying on I think people looking at your resume kindly, if you will. Um, yeah, at that point, I think you know the the adage would you're be a, you're going to be in a heap with a bunch of other teams that may or may not make it. You're going to leave it up to the judges, and sometimes the judges yeah. can can go against you. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's like. I mean, I covered Virginia Tech all those years when Seth Greenberg was on the bubble. And, like, that's what happened. They would, like, win a big game, but then lose a game they were not supposed to lose. And oh, yeah. I mean, it was the same thing with, a- up to with the judges. And same thing with Andy Kennedy teams. The like, they just live. Viably insane. Yeah. And then they wouldn't get in. <laughs> no, I feel like Andy and Seth's team both, like, perpetually lived on the bubble. Yeah. So, um, if you don't want to, you know, I think if you want ease of mind, you win tonight. And here, here's the. I, I don't know how you look at this. You can either look at it as Wichita State is due or Penny Hardaway has Wichita State's number. There is no team in the AAC he has a better winning percentage against than Wichita State. He's 7-1 and one against Wichita State. And, in fact, he's also won four in a row against Cincinnati. And so if they beat Cincinnati on Sunday, it will be the longest winning streak for Memphis in that series since, like, the, the early to mid-'80s. Yeah, and I – Again, I'm not. I don't want to diminish the accomplishment because, like, it's it. You know, you, at a certain point, you are what your record is. I do think that stat says more about where Cincinnati and Wichita State are as programs. I think that's fair. I, I mean, think if they, I think if they were better, that you'd probably on Isaac Brown yeah. and non-McCronin teams. Now, and in know? fairness, Penny did beat Greg Marshall too. I mean, I, we were talking about I, that was the first big road win, wasn't it? Year one. Yep, his first year he beat Wichita on the road, and then. I want to say beat Greg Marshall at home, Greg Marshall's last season or whatever it ended up being. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, like I said, he's, he's kind of on them. Now, the key to me is I actually think, you know, everyone, obviously Kendrick's health is, re- is the top priority. I think the secondary thing is Alex Lomax's health because Craig Porter is the guy who makes Wichita State go. Like, if they're going to win, it's going to be because Craig Porter goes off because he's the one guy on that team who feels like he's capable of going off. And um, in the first game, Lomax did a real nice job stopping him, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I know he played too much, Penny said, in that first game back, so they're going to probably limit his minutes more tonight, maybe. I'll take that bet. (laughs) He's the best perimeter defender they got. I mean, especially, you know, like Kendrick is an okay defender, I guess. Like, he's, he's better than he was at SMU. But on a, you know, if he's playing on like a somewhat bulky ankle, you know, like, and then Alo on a somewhat bulky groin potentially, like that to me is going to be an interesting subplot of all this. Because again, I think that Craig Porter kid from Wichita State is the, the, the straw that stirs the drink there at Wichita State. Whenever it gets, you know, it's been like a Shirley Temple this year. It hasn't really, hasn't really been a stiff drink that you've been facing, but nonetheless, he's a, mock he's tail. a nice player. Yeah, it's been a mocktail. 
Um, like, they've played better lately, but the reality is they haven't, like, beaten a good team. Like, their best win is, like, Temple, I think. Yeah, you know? I mean, like, they even had to go to, was it double overtime to beat SMU? I can't remember if it was yeah, double or... SMU's also played better lately. You know, they were competing with Tulsa for being the worst team in the league. Now they, they've jumped ECU, and they're now the third worst team in the yeah, league. Yeah, Tulsa's made quite the statement down the stretch. <laughs> Tulsa might be the worst AAC team since I've started covering the league. Like, the worst last-place team. Ooh, are, what about some of those USF teams? I don't know. This one's pretty bad. Because those USF teams could at least score. Like, this Tulsa team can't defend and can't score. Well, and also, I mean, I don't know how much of the roster construction is, but when you watch Tulsa play, I don't sense a great amount of buy-in. Oh, I think that, that roster was kind of thrown together. I, I, it's funny, I know the head coach a little bit because he was on Larinaga's staff at George Mason in Miami, Eric Conkle, and then he went to... Uh, Louisiana Mark, Tech. Mark, Mark, Mark. Larinaga. Larinaga. Yes. Larinaga. Excuse me. Um, and uh, he's a nice guy, great guy, Eric Conkle, but um, he did not do a great job constructing that roster this year. And from the reports I've heard out of Tulsa, like basically that whole roster is going to get imploded this offseason. Hitting the portal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, no, tonight's really important. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what can Malcolm give you tonight. You know, can he give you a little more? than he did in the first game back. Um, you know, yeah, it's a road game. And so, to me, especially if Kendrick's out, you're going to need a monster performance from DeAndre Williams. You're going to need Elijah McCadden to continue playing the way he's been playing. Um, and you're going to need Keontae Kennedy to emerge from this mini slump he's been on the last couple of games. Um, that's just the reality. Um, but I, I would hope that second half against Houston, even if Kendrick is out, has given them a decent amount of confidence, especially because I can't imagine the crowd, while the crowd at Wichita State notoriously is a tough crowd to play in front of, I can't imagine this version of Wichita State is going to have a crowd that's tougher than the crowd they were playing at Houston on Sunday. I mean, that crowd at Houston was a Fertitta Center record crowd. Um, no, I, so, I, th- I think you're 100% right on that. Yeah, so um, you know, I think they can win without Kendrick, and maybe that's how they're thinking. Like, hey, you know, ultimately, if we can just if we can squeak by without him in these three games, um, you know, we'll have a healthy Kendrick Davis in the in the NCAA tournament in the AAC tournament. Um, at the same time, do you really? I don't know if he's able to play. If he's like eighty percent or above, uh, my gut tells me you want to play him. You don't want to chance things this deep into the season. Yeah, it's a very different scenario than than Sunday was. Um, yeah, because I think Sunday. Almost everyone, conventional logic was, hey, man. And it was only three days. After, yeah. Like two days. It was like two days. It was like days, two and a half, and then days. you traveled. Yeah. Like, this is at least a week. Yeah, you've had a full week to heal up. Um, and the reports are that he has, you know, progressed, um, at least if you listen to the rumor mill. Um, now, no one is saying whether he's going to play or not, you know, and – some of that's gamesmanship. Some of it might be like dependent on what he does in warmups today. Well, it's entirely yeah. possible. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Sometimes when they say like we think he's going to play or we think he's going to try to play, but we don't know. Like, it, like you said, it's going to depend what if on. He turns his ankle in the warmups. You know, like what if he yeah. you know lands on it wrong or something? You know, but you know we'll see. It'll be a, it'll be a mystery until tip off, I would guess, or maybe you know my my bet my gut tells me, you know. The beat writers are there. Maybe we'll get some wind of it ahead of tip-off, but um, we'll know soon. <laughs> you know, tip-off's less than four hours away. 
Is his injury looming over this game? Because, like, I did feel like it loomed over Sundays, but I do feel like most people felt like coming into today that he was going to play. And, again, the line could be the reflection of, hey, sharp betters have been hammering Wichita State and they keep dropping the line. Like, that's entirely possible. But, I mean, that that line did cause me to think a minute. Yeah, I mean – Who's who on that staff has connections to Vegas? Now, Coach K's nephew is an assistant coach. Coach K loves Vegas. He's a big win guy. I have not checked out where where the line stands at the win. <laughs> Maybe Coach K gave him some inside info. Um, but no, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, well, you know, I don't know. Sometimes Vegas doesn't know everything. No, no it's. You know. I mean, again, they could also be. It could also be kind of to protect themselves in the sense of did did the remaining Coke brother bet on Wichita State big ahead of the game, and they you know decided to react to that. I'm not sure if he moves lines. Usually, (laughs) to move the line that much, it's usually someone that they that they believe like oh we've got the line wrong. Like someone hammering it like they would, and them going we have the line wrong, and then oftentimes like okay if you offer it to them at four then they take it again they're like well i guess we got to keep dropping it like that is a scenario that plays out well and then you know the other facet of this game that you have to watch like the reason why penny and memphis have had so much success against wichita wichita has not handled memphis's press well ever it feels like um and if alo can give you 20 minutes tonight if malcolm can give you some time you know you'll have enough horses to really employ that press a lot and if i if i recall the um, the first game, they really they employed it strategically, and which did not handle it well. They just didn't. They don't have like superior athletes, you know, to Memphis, and that's really where Memphis has gotten them over the years. Is they just got better athletes than Wichita, and they have, you know, it's a question of can they handle that pressure defense? Um, not many teams handle it that well, you know, and the ones that do beat Memphis usually. No, I think that's fair. I mean, I guess the other question for me though is. How much can we expect out of like Malcolm tonight? I mean, you know, he looked really, he looked really out of shape. Putting it kindly on he Sunday, a step slow. Like there was that play where I forget which player from Houston it was, like did a hesitation move and yeah. just blew by him. Yes. You know, and it was like, oh, he's. I don't know if it was out of shape as much as just, you know, he hadn't played in a game in forever and his instincts were off and all that. Um, but I mean, and, he and did only give them six minutes in a game that they. In a game that well, they could Penny, use some inside Penny presence. After the game, that Malcolm had not done like full court sprints at that point. Like he, you know, he had not done like whereas Alo had played full court in practice at that point, Malcolm hadn't. And so I would hope in the couple days they've practiced since then, Malcolm's gotten in some full court work. Like, you know, my hope is, you know, he gave you six minutes last game. Maybe he can give you 10 to 12 this game. Maybe. Right. You know, I mean, I, mean, I, th- time, I think wouldn't yeah, you set the over under at like ten? They out rebounded Houston playing small ball. Like, yeah, that was really impressive. I think it was like, more. Well, I think also it spoke to how Houston shot the basketball. Yeah, that's true. But nonetheless, not but yes, that's that's it. A hundred percent. Yeah. So um, I think you want him as a change of pace and to give DeAndre a blow, so he's not you know, so he doesn't get in foul trouble. Because like, oh, oh, I agree know, with you. I think you want him. I. My question is more of like, how much can he give you? Yeah, I'm not. You know, we'll see. <laughs> it's a we'll see because um, it's very clear 
Penny doesn't trust KO in the second half of games. He just doesn't. No, I, I think that's been proven at this point. Like, we, you know, he starts him and whatever. He doesn't trust him in the second half of games. He just doesn't. <laughs> um, it feels like he almost so, starts him to win the tap. Yeah. No, he plays him a little bit in the first half, and then typically in the second half he starts him and then doesn't play him again after that initial run. Um, that's how it goes. And, you know, you can quibble with it, but, like, the reality is, if you watch closely, KO is really good at altering and blocking shots defensively. He's not good at, like, defensive principles, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for sure. Um, Playing team you know, defense. The, the yeah. facets of defense Penny also is dependent upon. And, you know, that's the quickest way to get a hook from Penny is if you're – we've seen that over the years, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do defensively. If Kendrick – if they announce, you know, if we find out 20 minutes before the game, Kendrick's not playing – Mm-hmm. What is the what is the attitude towards the game become? I mean, I still think you want to win it. Like you, oh, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying, it, but like, I'm thinking more of like from the fan base. Doesn't it feel like that'd be a letdown? I guess, yeah. But it, I mean, at the same time, if you can play the way you did in the second half against Houston, you'll beat Wichita State. Now that's a big if, but I mean, it'll be a letdown, sure. Because he's, you know, he's like a the conference player of the year. There's no form. There's no way you can replace that. Um, <clears throat> well, and just the stability that he brings running the offense. The good news is, is Wichita State doesn't. Wichita State's a decent defensive team, but they don't play like some high pressure in your face defense like Houston does, or like um, some of the other, like even UCF. Like UCF is a better defensive team than Wichita State, so I think that will help a little bit. You know, you hope. You know, Elijah McCadden and Demarie Franklin got a lot of confidence from what they've done lately. Um, <clears throat> the hope is that second half showed them that they can do this without Kendrick, even though they want Kendrick back. Yeah, I, I think ultimately, you know, yeah, yeah. As we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, like there is still a path in my mind, even if you lose this game, to make the NCAA tournament. And frankly, like there's a path where you could squeak in, even if you don't beat Houston. Now it'd be like risky. Like that's the thing. Like, do you really want to put all that to chance? Like, you you need to win this game, you know. Ultimately, no. I, I think that's fair. I guess the only hesitation that I would have about Sunday, particularly in the second half, is how much was it they played better versus how much it was it they just made shots. Well, they changed things offensively. They like Penny said they like stopped calling plays and just said, "Hey, let's rely on our quickness." And yeah, just, you know. Get out on the break more. Drive it to the hole. They got they got to the foul line. You know, Elijah McCadden got to the yeah. foul line like a That's ton true. of times in that game. Um, and you know, like frankly, I, I think it'll be harder. Even though it's a home game, it'll be harder to beat Cincinnati without Kendrick than it will be tonight without Kendrick because Cincinnati can score. Whereas Wichita State's not a high scoring team, generally speaking. No, and I mean that's kind of the other issue. It's like losing to Cincinnati at home is, I think, more devastating to your chances than losing tonight. But I don't know. I guess I'm the better team. Yeah. I mean, I guess really what I'm that that's, that speaks to the league in my opinion. Like that's the bigger problem with the league is that like, you know, you don't really get credit for teams that you should get credit for, but I don't know. I guess this game just feels weird to me and I can't put my finger on it. It feels a lot weirder than I was anticipating it feeling. And and maybe that's me projecting, but I, I think it's just cuz you you're you you you're you're devoted to Vegas and you know and rightfully so. Vegas has not steered you wrong many times. And you know, hopefully maybe Penny's not a Vegas guy. 
No, I think that's entirely possible. Any, any other thoughts before we turn our attention to the Grizzlies? No, I think that's it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully get a win. I don't want to be like I hate covering that team when you get to selection. You know, like, are they in? Are they out? Are they in? Like, I I think for everyone's sake, like I liked last year where it was like, okay, they got it. You know, they beat Houston. The question the, last year was, what seat are they going to get? Like that was it. Yeah, they're in. They're in. You know, um, don't do something stupid. But I like again the way the bracket's going to work out for the AC tournament. I don't think they're going to suffer. Even if they were to lose their first game in the AC tournament, it's not going to be a crippling loss, I don't think, um, based on who they're going to play. Now, UCF did lose to USF at home last night, which was <laughs> that's going to hurt them. And next. Tyler fouled out. I know, at the end of the game. But they were, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, Tyler got them the lead, I mean, in fairness, but like, it, it was, it was, that was a, that was one of those ones where you're like, how is this happening? Yeah. But alas, uh, it is what it is. But, um, We'll see. We'll see uh, how they uh, how they do tonight. I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm hopeful Kendrick's going to play. All right, let's turn our attention to the Grizzlies. We'd mentioned kind of needing needing the All Star break, and I think there was maybe some anticipation of seeing the team get back on the floor. Mm-hmm. Did the Stephen Adams news from yesterday that he's going to be out and likely out for the weekend? Do you think that took some momentum out? I just think it's like the fact that you're playing literally the two best centers in the league yeah. to start out. It's like I think awesome. That's where it's like, oh my god, like really? really, you know, like it's like if they were playing the Lakers or Golden State, it wouldn't, you know, you'd feel a little like, oh, well, they can figure this out. But like literally, like we're gonna put Tillman on Joel Embiid tonight. We're gonna put Tillman on Jokic. We're gonna, you know, Jaron could maybe do it, but like you know, we both know that's a recipe for him picking up two, three fouls right off the bat. Well, and to me, like that's also that's kind of a big picture question that I'm interested in. Are we going to start to see? Because Taylor Jenkins had said, you know, ramping up. Are we going to start to see the starters playing more minutes? Because as we've talked about, one of the issues that we see with this team is, you know, their best players aren't on the floor as much as some other teams. Now, this isn't unusual for them, but you know, and, and he comes from the Budenholzer tree, and and that's kind of their mo. But I am curious to see if we start to see if we start to see starters play more minutes. Like, Ja goes up from 32 to 35. Yeah, and I'm not talking like playing 40-something a game, but yeah, like, you know, or that 35 to 38 range. Like, instead of coming in with six or seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, yeah. he comes in, nine. you know, nine. Yeah, I think we could see that tonight. And, you know, they already were starting to bump up Jaron's minutes when he stayed out of foul trouble before the break um, once Steven Adams went out. Um, what know, are they? What do you think they're going to do on Embiid tonight? To me, it might be one of those things where it's like, all right, let's let him be. You know, we don't really have an answer for Embiid. Let's let him do what he does, and let's try and contain everyone else. Yeah, kind of the yeah, like the Shaq approach that some you know, back in the day. Um, I mean, there's not because like, I'm thinking about like there's not really a great formula. Like, do I want Tillman on him? No. At the same time, we've seen Embiid can put up like fifty or sixty points. Yeah, and, like that wouldn't be good. Um, but like, do you, I mean are are they starting with Brandon Clark on him? Because that's no, a mismatch as well. They'll start Tillman, so he picks up. He'll you know Tillman's going to use. They're going to get good work at all six. Yeah, of was, that's Tillman. the classic. Hey, buddy, you got six. Use them. Yeah, <laughs> spread them out a little bit. Yeah. Use them. Yeah, um, that's what I think. Um, but then, you know, they've got Harden and Tyrese Maxey who can go off as well. I mean, that's, you know, that's a team that could win the title over there. Like, frankly, 
has played much better than the Grizzlies over the last couple of no, months. Like, even if the Grizzlies were at full strength, no, to, Philly would be favored in this game. To your point, I, I'm just thinking about because that was one of my buddies from college was in town and we went to the game that night. Just thinking about where the Sixers were that night and where the Grizzlies were that night, and like it feels like the roles have almost entirely flipped. And did did, did weren't they missing either Embiid or Harden in the first game? Embiid definitely played, and I I think Harden. I think you're right. Harden didn't play. Yeah, I mean, and Harden's not the same Harden he was five years ago, but he's actually this season you know, morphed into a new, still effective version of himself, you know, as a distributor, as a shot maker. Um, you know, he, he's playing better than he did the past couple years. I'm trying to think. That was, what, December, like, 5th? Okay, December 4th. That's right. Jaron had the big block at the yeah. rim on, and on him beat. Well, and it was one of those games that we've kind of seen with the Grizzlies. We didn't know at the time that it was going to be kind of a – a, a preview of things to come, but remember they had a, a they had a good size lead. I want to say they got the lead up to like twenty, and mm-hmm. then the Sixers came back in the fourth quarter, and then Jaron made. I mean, honestly, I think that's the block of the year still, right? <laughs> Probably. I mean, it's the it's not just it was one the timing of it, two the the style of it, like yeah. right at the rim, and then three it was against Embiid. Yes. <laughs> like yeah, it was a fantastic block. Um Yes, and, we we were correct. Embiid played that game, but uh, Harden did not. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. But you know, it's going to be a tough challenge. I mean, they're you know, they're missing a key body who can cover, who can defend Embiid tonight, and then Jokic on Saturday. And oh, by the way, those happen to literally be two of the five best players in the NBA right now, and the two best centers. Is it wrong of me to think? Okay, hey, we're. You know, there's 25 games left. It's starting to ramp up. Isn't this a situation where you'd like to see John ja Jaron like prove? Like, I, I, I think I, you know, I know what everyone feels about Bain, and I, I think as highly of him as anyone. But I still think those are the two cornerstones. Like, don't you kind of need your stars year, to be stars? I think this year it's really proven out that like those are your two best players on both. Like best two-way players, if you will. Like, Ja not, isn't necessarily the greatest defensive player. He's improved. But he's not year. been as bad as, as years past. And he's a, you know, he's, he, you can certainly say this. He, I don't know if he's one of the top five players in the league. He might get first-team All-NBA. He's right on, you know, he's in that probably five to ten range. But he, I, I would venture to guess he is one of the five or six best offensive players in the NBA. I think that's right, right now, yeah. Um... And, you know, Jaron has, you know, with his uptick offensively, um, he's turned into, like, I think there's a good argument this season when he's played, you know, take out the 14 games he missed at the beginning of the year. I mean, Jaron's been one of the 25 best players in the NBA. And typically teams that have two of the 25 best players in the NBA are title contenders. Is there any result that's going to change what you think tonight? No, I, I'm looking at this. To, I want to see what over these 11 games, and especially once Stephen Adams comes back, hopefully next week. Like, can they go six and five over this 11 game stretch? I don't care. Given what the schedule looks like, like, you know, frankly, like tonight and Saturday, like you, you mentioned, it's kind of a, a letdown a little bit because Adams isn't playing, and, and but it also like takes some of the pressure off. Sure. In that, like, you do have a built-in excuse, like the guy who was going to cover those two guys wasn't playing. Um, and, um, so, but I want to see what they do, you know, cause like I, I wrote it in my column at commercialpill.com, like 
this is their last chance before the postseason, I feel, these next 11 games, to really, like, prove that they can make a run in the playoffs. It's not to say they can't once they get to the playoffs go on a run, but, like, usually teams show definitive signs of that before they actually do it. How often do we see a team go on a run out of the blue? The Hawks did it a couple years ago. I guess you could count the Mavericks last year. Um, Yeah, but but, I also feel like, you know, with the Mavericks, it's like, okay, well, how much of it was, you know, Phoenix either getting COVID or, you know, the the breakdown of the Suns and Paul getting hurt, you know, how much of it was that? Because, I mean, the the Mavs weren't particularly competitive in that that West. Yeah, I want to see them show me they can do this. Like, I, I laid out their record yesterday against, like, they're a 500 team against good teams in the West. And they're, you know, they're bad on the road against the West. Yeah, I think, I think for me, though, the bigger, like, if you're trying to quantify what do you want to see, I actually think it's more eye test than results right now. Because the biggest problem that I saw with the Grizzlies the last, you know, month and a half was, you know, you couldn't really put your finger on it. It's just like the eye test. They just weren't passing. Yeah, they weren't playing good basketball. They didn't yeah. look like the, the team that was rolling through November and December has not been there. I mean, I put in my column. They haven't beaten a contender at full that's at full strength since January 1st. Like, that's the reality, okay? Like, the wins they've gotten have either been over teams that were missing a star player or were bad teams that they were supposed to beat. That's it. Like, they have not beaten any of the contenders they've played. And now here's the, the, the biggest stretch of the season in terms of you're going to be playing contenderish teams back-to-back-to-back-to-back, basically. And let's, I want to see how they handle it. No, I think that's a big part of it. But then again, I also find myself wondering, like, okay, yes, if you could have the ideal situation, you'd like to see, you'd like to see them playing better basketball and staying healthy. But, like, I'm now just wondering, is the whole goal of the NBA at this point, like, is it just to just get to the playoffs healthy and, you know, your form be damned? Like, once it becomes the playoffs, like, your form didn't matter? Because that's almost what the I think I think I think you saw last year with the Grizzlies when Ja suffered that injury towards the end of the year, like the end of March. Yep. I remember he missed eight, nine games and then came back for like one at the end. Like, yeah, they were completely healthy, but and Ja looked pretty good, all things considered, but like they never found the rhythm they had before he got injured, you know, in the playoffs. Like they won that series against the Timberwolves, but there were only a couple games um, in that, in the in both series, where they truly looked like the juggernaut, they looked like most of the season. I, I think you want. I think it's both. I think you want to have, you want to be clicking and also be healthy. Like that's the, like if you're not clicking, it's going to be hard to just magically find that in the playoffs. Is my is my thought. Anything else? No, that's it. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we go. Hopefully, we come back on air tomorrow and they're two and zero. It's more Grizzly fun. Goes, it's more fun to, to do radio when they're two and zero. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's always fun when both teams win, and it's always sad when both teams lose. Yeah, yeah. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you during the second hour. All right, sounds good. That is Mark Giannato of the Commercial Appeal. When we come back, let's talk with Eric Hastine. We'll get his thoughts on the Grizzlies as they take on the Sixers tonight. Sick Nielsen, Giannato, and Jeffrey, ninety-two nine FM, ESPN. Yes, let's welcome. Let's welcome Mark back to the program. Mark, so let's get into a couple of other things that I think pertaining to the Grizzlies. We'll stay Grizzlies-focused this segment. Okay. So one thing that I do think is interesting is 
you know, we talked about post-trade deadline, kind of the pecking order in the West. And Jeff and I did this exercise this morning where you're starting to see more and more adjustments for where the Grizzlies are in terms of odds, how people have them in the pecking order. Here's what I think is fair to say, and you tell me if you agree. There are four teams, if you're talking about winning the NBA title, so not just the West, there are four teams that I think I would pick ahead of the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Boston, Milwaukee, Denver, and I think you have to say Phoenix, even though we, we find out Kevin Durant's not going to play tomorrow night. I still think the Phoenix thing's kind of weird, and it's, you know, you better hope everybody stays healthy. But at the same time, like, if I'm having to sit there and say I believe that the Grizzlies would be better than them as a title contender, I think you have to be honest and say I'd take Phoenix before I'd take the Grizzlies. Are you good with that? Well, it's interesting you bring it up. During the break, I was just reading through um, Kurt Goldsberry. Kurt, Goldsber- Kurt Goldsberry did like his uh, new story. Uh, he's like kind of one of those analytics whizzes over at ESPN on like any. He did different tiers of title contenders, and indeed, the four teams you named were in his first tier of title contenders. And to me, like that's kind of how I'm I'm viewing it right now. Now, where I think it gets complicated is when you start, uh, this is where I think the Grizzlies belong. It's like in this next tier, but this next tier feels like it's about five teams. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, He's got the Grizzlies in the second tier along with... He has them at six, um, correct? What? He has them at six, correct? I think he's just got them in tiers. Like He does list them first, but he's got them in tiers. Um, it's them. He's got Golden State in there. Um, he's got Philadelphia in there um, as a second-tier team. Um, I think that's it um, among the second tier of contenders. And his point is when they were fully healthy, the Grizzlies were a title contender. They've looked like a lottery team, not fully healthy. Um, but the hope is when they get fully healthy, they'll go back to looking like a title contender again. And see, this is kind of where like, I struggle because – I pers- they haven't really been that healthy all year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what is? I think it's. I think they. I believe. I believe also in that story, either he included it or maybe Harrington included it because he wrote about something similar today. The Grizzlies of all the teams we're talking about, they've basically had their starters together for like ten games, and that is far and away the least. It's almost half what the next closest team would be. Yeah, I believe it's only they've they've equaled the number of games with their full starting lineup this year as they did all last year, eleven uh, this season. By the way, the second tier also includes Cleveland, um, it also includes Dallas, and it also includes the Clippers. So they've got they've got Memphis in that tier with the Clippers, Dallas, Golden State, Philly, and Cleveland. And I I suppose for me the question is, do you think we're gonna? Are these next 25 games going to elevate the Grizzlies back into the other tier? Because they did spend a good portion of the season in Tier 1 when everyone was doing the same exercise. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the damage has been done to elevate them. Like, ultimately, you know, there's the, the Phoenix thing, there's like an air of mystery, you know, like ultimately because Durant hasn't played with them yet. Um, and so you're just figuring it's going to work. And well, and then there's always just the Chris Paul staying healthy question. Yeah, but you know, I mean, honestly, they're less dependent on that this year with Kevin Durant. Like 
You know, like when you have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, you know, they can, you know, I'm not saying they can maybe get, you know, if they lose them, but if they lose them for a series or something, like they feel better equipped to manage without them than they did previously. Um, but he addresses, you know, like uh, uh, reading Goldsberry's story, you know, Phoenix ranks 18th in offense, offensive efficiency. Very clearly, Kevin Durant should improve that. Um, so, and it's just a question of what he looks like when he comes back. I, I think I saw Shams reported they're they're targeting Wednesday for his return for his debut with the Suns. Um, but like, I listen. I don't want to get in a playoff series with him and Devin Booker. Like that would be that would be. It would be a great win, but it'd also be like it'd be terrifying. No, I mean I think that's I think that's fair. I mean I guess the other question though is when you have teams like that, you know, it almost feels like you know the Warriors did when they had you know Durant, and it's like if they get one injury, you know, it quickly falls apart because of the lack yeah. of the lack of the bench. The other thing though that fascinates that's me, true. kind of moving forward. What do you expect, Jaws? What do you think demeanor-wise we're going to see from Ja? Because I was trying to put my finger on it. I don't feel like he was necessarily sulking right before the All-Star break, but he did kind of feel like... I think he feels... I think, I think what people need to realize is this is probably the first time in his entire life he has been criticized. Because even... And like, you know, Certainly in his professional like, life. I mean, there's no question. Well, but even when he was an overlooked, like, high school prospect, he was just ignored, not criticized, you know? Like, he's never, he's never borne the brunt of criticism. And then the reality is he's online a lot, Yeah, you know? He isn't tweeting as much now, but, like, you know, you go in that locker room, you know, he's, he's on his phone when you go in that locker room. And, you know, even there was a video of LeBron dapping up everyone in the locker room before the All-Star game. And when he went to Ja, Ja was on his phone. Yeah. You know, like, and so I think he sees a lot of it. And I think a lot of it, you know, I think it's just he's, he's, you know, it's like anyone dealing with something for the first time. He's figuring out how to handle it. And, you know, I, I don't know if sulky is the right word, but you definitely can tell he's like, feels, he feels burned, you know? He, and, he's, and he's trying to, he's now tempering his comments. You can tell. Um, and maybe that's for the best, to be quite honest. It's not the best for me, you know, as a reporter, but for the team, you know, uh, you know, keep your keep your talk on the court, you know, like do your trash talking on the court, There's, you know, and, you know, it'll it'll go from there. But, you know, I think he's just coming to terms with um, the reality that and I think it's probably a little bit of, you know, in retrospect, I bet if we put truth serum in Ja in Ja. He'd probably say, I shouldn't have said what I said to Malik Andrews. It's caused me way more trouble than I ever thought it would. Yeah, (laughs) and and as frustrated as people can get, particularly locally, with how much it gets overplayed, I mean, we we could debate whether or not it it should be discussed. The reality is it's going to be discussed. Well, and, you know, the reality is you can't say that and then go on, like, basically a slump against the Western Conference. It's going to get thrown in your face. And it'll, you know, here's, here's the truth. If they lose in the first or second round of the playoffs, it'll get thrown in their face again. You know, like that's just the reality of it. Um, and, you know, maybe it'll, you know, like ultimately, like even look at like Michael Jordan. Go watch interviews of Michael Jordan during his first five years and then compare him to Michael Jordan in like his prime. Yeah. Like he was much more buttoned up. Like you just learn that over time. And it's, again, it's not great for 
reporters or even the public. You know, you want to see these guys' true selves. But, like, I don't necessarily blame them when stuff you say gets thrown back in your face, especially the way that comment did from John. Now, you know, I I said immediately I thought it was dumb to say because it wasn't accurate, um, like, even at the time. And that, you know, now obviously teams have beefed up. Um, but, you know, I – I'm guessing part of it is like Jaws coming to terms with it's like what, whenever we make a mistake, like any, any of us, it's like, you know, at first you blame everyone else and then you do some introspection and you realize, you know, I could have handled this a little better too, you know? And that's where I think we're at with Ja, and he's got 25 games to sort through those emotions. And I fully expect he will. Um, now, you know, he's going to go to LA, uh, what he's going to go to LA for two games. So he's probably going to get questions about it there. You know, um, it, basically any time they play a Western Conference contender, I suspect some version of that question is going to get asked to them. Do and we think Golden know, State people are going to travel here? I do. Yeah, probably. I mean, that. yeah. I, I would them. suspect then too, right? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, but I think that's really what it is. I feel like he feels burned a little bit. and it's And it's a strong feeling because – Again, I doubt he's ever he's ever faced anything like this in his life from sort of a public scrutiny standpoint and a public criticism standpoint. Um, and, the, and here's the other thing. It's not just like random people on Twitter. It's like actual NBA players, too. No, and I mean, we, you know, we've, we've talked about it. I mean, I do think, at least from a, an older contingency of talking heads, I think there was, and I think it was a legitimate criticism, the Grizzlies talk the Grizzlies talk like they've won something and yet they haven't. Now I'm in the camp of, I don't really care. It's, it's great for us. It gives us things to talk about, but I mean, I do think there's some merits to the argument of, okay, well you've, you've won one playoff series. But I I also suspect if they start winning some games here, he'll break out of whatever, you know, like he'll be happy go lucky jock. And if they start winning some games, like the reality is it's, it probably wouldn't bother him that much if they hadn't lost eight to nine in the process of him getting criticized for it, you know? Yeah, and and in fairness to him, I don't really know how much of that I'd put on him. Yeah, no, he's playing as I mean, he's play, He's had a remarkably consistent year, and he's been more durable. I mean, he said going into the year he wanted to be more durable this year. Well, he's been more durable this year thus far. Um, he's on track to play way more games than last year, I think. Well, I mean, to, um, to your point, part of the reason why I think he's still in in the conversation for first team All NBA is just because he's going to play that so many games. At yeah, least he's on no, path, I, right? Yeah, no, he's he's on track to do that, and so, um, you know, I'm hopeful. Uh, I think he'll snap out of it. I think it's all it's just a it's a combination of things. He's probably tired from the All Star experience. He's tired of facing the questions, but he's just you know. He's just got to come to grips with it a little bit and use it as fuel. And, he, you know, you keep hearing recently him saying, I'm not going to, you know, use my energy on that stuff. And hopefully he, you know, like right now it feels like to me he's someone said that to him and he's saying it, but hopefully he lives by those words. Like it's all just chatter in the end. Like ultimately I really don't think that stuff impacts what happens between the lines. I really don't. No, I, I think maybe it, you know, that's always what I've always wondered. Like what is the – what is the actual value of bulletin board material? Like, and I got no problem with him talking trash on the court. Like, I think that's where he should unload on people. Like, that's good stuff. It's when you're going out in public and then it's broadcast to the whole world where from a mental perspective, like if it backfires, 
it can really weigh on you. Like, uh, you know, when I have tweeted something that I regret and like people, you know, occasionally, you know, people will just like attack me like it weighs on you. You know, it just does. Um, and it can affect your day to day life a little bit. And you have to just like come to grips with why am I letting this, you know, affect my day to day life? And I think just Ja is in that process. You know what I mean? No, I mean, I, I definitely like thinking back on my career. I'm also a little bit different in you in the sense that my first real job in the business was I, you know, I also had a message board. And if you think Twitter's brutal, message boards are even worse because it's it, there's even less of a personal element on a message board. And you're right. Like, I think part of getting older, though, is I definitely like, and part of it is kind of, you know, I mean, I recognize the way that I'm wired and, you know, I can come off as a heel at times, but like, it really, I don't know, man, it doesn't really get to me like it did. Yeah, I think he'll, he'll develop it. Like, this is all good lessons for him as he, like, you know, turns into this superstar, you know, like this is, you know, like Michael Jordan didn't have to deal with this. You know, like even LeBron, it was only the beginning of the beginning of his career. Like he didn't have to deal like social media, like what came out like at the so, came, LeBron came out in like oh four oh five. Twitter wasn't even around yet. I mean, I think um, Twitter starts in oh nine. I feel like I feel like the beginning of the social media age, though, is kind of like the 2012 presidential election because Obama's team used it so effectively. Like, I feel like that began like kind of the the very online crowd. Yeah, I guess. I remember when I was covering the Caps at the beginning of my career, like it was pretty – hockey Twitter was a thing even then, like in 2010, 2011. Yeah. But it was more – it was, you know, less – It was more – honestly, like, though, at that, like when I think back to Twitter at that time, it was way more fun. It was news. It was like, you know – oh, it, it was, was a like, news feed, it was yeah. like you were racing to get out the news on Twitter, you know. Um, 